Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In the late 18th century, William Wilberforce was converted. Almost single-handedly, he broke the shackles of slavery. People there were just totally different. We are looking at the footprint of God over the last 2,000 years. Since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 A.D., the Jewish people have a nation of their own. And he said, well, no, Randy, we're not all just faking it. There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus. And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Ross Nankero from International Mission Ministries. How are you, mate? Yeah, going well. Thanks, Matt. It's great to have you with us on the phone today. I'd love to hear a bit of your story. Whereabouts were you born and raised? I grew up in the Hunter Valley in uh, Singleton. And did you have, like, a religious upbringing at all? No, not at all, Matt. No. Uh, Way a long way away from uh, religion or Christianity, yeah. What about uh, your family? Did they have any, you know, Catholic or you didn't go to Sunday school or anything like that? Yeah, I think, you know, family were nominally Catholic. I think I was about eight year old. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, when I concluded all religion was hypocrisy. Okay. And so I turned away from that. And then I was about 25 year old. I was uh, busted and. Um, Put in a into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. Yeah. Wow. So let's just uh, go through those years a bit. What did you first do after you finished school? I went into an apprenticeship as a spray painter. And did you have any, uh, uh, you know, goals for a career then, or just spray painting was it? No, I didn't really have any goals or things like that. I was, you know, and pretty early on, I got involved in the drug scene. I was probably stoned for about eight years. Right. Okay. Uh, most days, yeah. And what happened with the bust? Well, I was uh, travelling to Perth, and um, someone informed the police I was coming, and uh, they kindly met me before the tra- um, train got into Perth, and um, yeah, welcomed me into Perth and put me straight into Canningvale Maximum Security Remand Centre. Wow. How long were you there for? I was only there for a couple of months, and. Um, then finally, um, as I really went for sentencing, it was before that. One day I picked up a Gideon Bible, opened it, started reading, and uh, read the words, asking you shall receive, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be opened. You know, and at first I just couldn't believe it would be that simple, so I kind of threw the Bible away. It made me angry, if anything. But I was still in jail. A couple of days later I picked up the Bible again and kind of smuggled it into my cell again so no one would see me reading, you know. And um, opened somewhere in the middle, found myself reading the same words. Asking you shall receive, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open. And that kind of put me on a journey over the next few days or a week where I was really trying to comprehend a God who um, was interested in me personally. And finally, I kind of got to a point and thought, okay, you know, I've heard that Jesus died for the sins of the world and I hardly even know what that means that I just cried out to God and said, God, I need that Jesus did that for me. You know, I hadn't spoken to a Christian to that point, and uh, the next day I woke up, and Matt, I knew that I had a relationship with God. I knew that my sins were forgiven through Jesus, and that was at the beginning of my Christian life. Wow, what a great story of uh, coming to faith through a, a Gideon's Bible. And how did you get into church after that? Well, we met up with some uh, people in, in Perth. I'd 
gone for um, really for sentencing, and uh, they put me on a good probation bond. Uh, I probably should have been put away for a couple of years with the amount of marijuana I was busted with. But they uh, let me out and directed me to a church back in the Hunter Valley. We were moving straight back to New South Wales. And um, so I went to a Baptist church in Singleton in the Hunter Valley. We're still connected to that church, great little church. And, uh, yeah, that's really what started our journey. And tell us a bit about the ministry you're involved with, International Mission Ministries. How did you get involved in this? Sure. Um, So probably three and a half years after we came to faith, uh, my wife and I felt led to go into mission. We looked around and were led to New Tribes Mission, Bible College and Missionary Training. And that's an organisation that really was gearing to get the gospel to tribal people who had never heard the gospel. And so we went to Bible College and started about 1985. And we were with that organisation for about 25 years. Um, the last 10 years we were with them. I was a national director with New Tribes. And at the same time, we'd started our own organization, International Mission Ministries. And then when we'd left New Tribes, we just continued ministry with IMM. Yeah. Well, you know, I had the privilege of visiting uh, the New Tribes headquarters in Goroka in Papua New Guinea last year. Okay, yeah. I was with Pastor David D, a friend of mine. I was preaching up there, and he, we went in and, and drove around and got to meet a whole bunch of the different families and see the school there. And uh, and it reminded me of a, a video I saw when I was a youth pastor called Eat to Owl. About, Eat to Owl, yeah. Yeah. Great video, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. absolutely. And I remember thinking when I was a young fellow, I'd love to go on a mission trip to Papua New Guinea one day. There I was at the New Tribes headquarters. So for those who don't know much about Eat to Owl and, and uh, that story, do you want to just share that a snapshot of that story with us? Yeah, Eat to Owl is the story of one of the tribes in Papua New Guinea who um, chronologically had been teaching through the scriptures and came to a point where um, they presented the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And, yeah, most of the tribe or the people in that village uh, responded. And uh, just an amazing video, really uh, classic, just to see the response to the gospel there when people realised that uh, Jesus died for their sin. Um, you know, NTM was a great organisation and uh, we enjoyed our years with them, yeah. Fantastic. And, uh, and and I think a bit of the backstory was that there was a couple that wanted to go and do missions in Papua New Guinea, but all of the other missions groups uh, said, oh, you've got to do three years Bible college or whatever, you know. But New yeah. Tribes had a, like a short course they could do, and then they sent them off. Is that right? Yeah, not not such a short course. My <laughs> wife and I did that, about a three-year course with them. Um, but, yeah, basically NTM was saying, look, you know, we'll take people who've got a heart. Yeah. And we'll take people who are prepared to do what God says. Mm. And uh, I think that's what resonated for my wife Donna and I as well as we joined NTM. Yeah. Wonderful. And which, which countries have you done ministry in now? So predominantly with NTM, we work in Australia, but we're also running short-term teams and then doing short-term ministry in um, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, uh, Thailand, um, and then India. I became on to one of the international uh, coordination groups doing, again, work really from uh, through, right through Asia, really, and the Asian countries down through the uh, Asia-Pacific as well. Okay, now, International Mission Ministries, IMM, um, yep. look at the website here, imm.org.au, a great website 
uh, with some incredible pictures there of the ministry you guys do. Tell us a bit about the heart behind the organisation. Yeah, so when uh, my wife and I left NTM, we moved to India and uh, we just found a tremendous ministry in India. I was training church planters around the country in different states. My wife Donna is a registered nurse and midwife and uh, she was doing a medical mission in one of the villages of Tamil Nadu. We based in Bangalore and then, as I said, trained in various states of India. From there, we started to understand the doors of Nepal had started to really open for the gospel. And, um, you know, we started some ministry up there, training some church planters and uh, getting a sense of what was happening in Nepal with those doors opening. I really felt God saying, you know, we need to do what we can here. And when I say the doors are opening, you know, Nepal just 20 years ago were mandatory jail sentences for anybody who was a Christian and uh, who called themselves a Christian. Same time, just over 20 years ago, they banned slavery. So this has been a kingdom monarchy and uh, really Hindu state. People in that country really had very little choice of religion. And as we started to understand the doors opening and the potential for the gospel going in there, we really felt that, um, you know, we should do what we can. So we started from the time we were living in India, then we moved back to Australia and, um, again, sought out new partners up there. And uh, over the last five years particularly, we've been very involved in uh, getting churches established uh, in remote areas, in isolated areas, particularly in places where there's really no churches and no Christians. And I know that uh, you guys also do a lot of work uh, with uh, care sponsorships for at-risk children. How does that look? Yeah, so from the church plants up there, and we've actually now got about 230 churches we've got started in Nepal. Um, and from that, we couldn't ignore the need of children. And um, it's, you know, Nepal is a country that there's desperate needs there. There's children who are at risk there's uh, abandoned children, there's orphan children. And so we started to sponsor uh, those children in education sponsorships and care sponsorships. And uh, we've currently got about 50 children in three different centres, orphanages across the country, and then some community children that we sponsor in education as well. Uh, we're pretty tight on our criteria for the children's ministry. It's uh, an area that has potential for abuse around the world. So we look at children who are genuinely orphaned or abandoned, uh, destitute, and at risk of being trafficked. Um, yeah, so that's and we love the children's ministry. It's really given heart to a lot of the things that we're doing uh, practically in the, regarding church plants and things like that. Mm, and you know, whenever I hear people talk about you know, you know human trafficking and you know, what happens to these, you know, beautiful children all around the world. It's just heartbreaking. I remember going to Cambodia one time and connecting up with Destiny Rescue and yep. finding out about how they rescue children out of these, you know, ho horrible situations and take them to a safe house, do a medical check and then, you know, train them up and help them get a trade, you know. Uh, incredible to hear these ministries that are tackling human trafficking head on uh, yeah. Do you guys, what level of involvement do you have with, uh, you know, helping, you know, children get out of that, that uh, horrible scene? We've just, over the last 12 months, we've been investigating uh, moving into this area. And it's, a, again, a, a difficult space 
to work in and uh, difficult to find, you know, just the right kind of partners in some of these third world countries that you, that you could be working with. We've now partnered up with a, um, a group called ASIN with Pastor Yubaraj, and um, <coughs> he's been working in that area for about 12 years, and he actually intercepts girls. His ministry is to intercept girls at the border, and uh, they set up a, a booth with trained counsellors on the border between India and uh, Nepal, and uh, they have access via the police and the various bus companies and groups around them to the bus schedule. So they get on all the buses and they would scout out on the buses of potentially girls being trafficked and then intercept those girls, uh, have um, the police on speed dial. So they're arresting guys or, or other women who are trafficking these girls. And many times the girls are very ignorant of what's actually happening to them. They're duped into it. They're tricked, they're deceived, and they're promised jobs and think they're just going over the border to get a job somewhere. And um, many times they're then being sold directly into a brothel in one of the Indian cities or somewhere there like that. Um, so our involvement with IMM, we really want to set up uh, four more booths and sponsor more counsellors to man those booths along the border. That organisation with one booth in one bus park is currently intercepting between 30 and 50 girls a month who are being trafficked. We want to set up four more booths and intercept hundreds more and stop that number being trafficked. This ministry, ASIN, they also have a retraining or skill training for the girls and set up micro-enterprise projects to, you know, get them into a business, small business, might be sewing, it might be something else and then uh, help them get started and also break the poverty cycle in that. So from IMM, our, um, our desire really is to just partner with people, Indigenous people who are already doing this ministry. They're doing the ministry really, really well. And uh, our desire is just to yeah, partner with them and facilitate you know, interested people in Australia who are passionate about stopping this devastating slave trade. And that's really what it is. Um, so, yeah, we want to initiate for partners here in Australia and, uh, yeah, see more support and more focus and more energy go into stopping this uh, blight on humanity. And we've been chatting to Ross Nancaro, who is from IMM, International Mission Ministries. And if you want to find out more about their organisation, you can search them up on Facebook or go to their website, imm.org.au. Well, Ross, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Matt. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater. And my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. 
They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.